Today we do begin a brand new series called A Heart for the Kingdom. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, he says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, when the Bible is typically talking about the word heart, it's not talking about typically that organ inside your body that's pumping blood to the rest of your body. When the Bible is talking about the word heart, it's talking about that place inside the human being where what we know and what we feel actually line up, where what we actually believe and our actions actually come together. In fact, one of the ways that you can describe the word heart is whatever it is you're actually passionate about, what it is that has both your attention and also your affection. So church, let me ask you this question this morning. What has your heart? What are you passionate about? What is it that has your attention and your affection? Look, I know some of you right now, you have a heart for fantasy football. Right now, fantasy football has your attention and maybe even some of your affection. In fact, as the season kicks off, you're feeling a little bit anxious about the team that you've assembled wondering what's going to happen this afternoon, but you're thinking and both feeling that in this fantasy football league, like it's going to be the best year ever that you've ever had. And some of you have an incredible heart for this fake football that you like to participate in. Some of you in here, you have a heart for the Dallas Cowboys. Some of you right now, you're both thinking and feeling that this is going to be the year. You're thinking and feeling, and even believing you're excited about what's happening on the team, and you know, you are thinking and believing that this is going to be a year that they actually go all the way. But you might as well change that heart to a broken heart, because you know ain't nothing going to be different. <laughs> Look, we can have varying degrees of a heart for something, varying degrees of a passion for something. And in fact, the greater passion, the greater heart we have for something means that that's, we, that's where we actually treasure that thing even more. In fact, I know that more than fantasy football or any other football team, I know many of you have a heart for your children. Man, you are passionate and you care deeply about what happens to them about their security, about where they're going to end up in life. In fact, I know some of you right now, you've entered into the empty nester season where literally you've you've sent your children out and now your heart has been extended to wherever they are. And you're thinking about them as they stepped out, what's going to happen to them? And you're passionate and you think about them a lot, believing and still hoping and moving toward that they're going to make a difference in the world, that they're going to be safe. And you have a heart for your children. See, one's heart, belongs to, truly belongs to what it treasures the most. So again, church, I ask you the question, what has your heart? As we go through this series, we're going to be in the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. And when we start a series, especially when we're locked into one of these books of the Bible, though, we like to take some time and actually look at the history behind this book um, and where this story is in light of God's big story that he's been writing all throughout the scriptures. So here's some background that we're going to look at. And I want you to be thinking about this. Look, you don't have to write it down, but I want you to be thinking about this as we go through this series over the next eight weeks. Here's some background on the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah himself, he was a cupbearer for the king of Persia called Artaxerxes. This was actually a 
role. You know, sometimes when people have heard the term cupbearer before, they think it's just someone who maybe just like held cups for the king, or maybe they just kind of tasted the food to make sure that the king wasn't poisoned. And that is true. The cupbearer would actually sample a lot of the food that was brought to the king to make sure someone wasn't trying to off the king. So this person had to have a good reputation. But see, this person was also typically a trusted advisor of the king. So Nehemiah's role as cupbearer was almost like a chief of staff for the king. He had a very, very important role. But not only that, his name, the name Nehemiah, actually means Jehovah comforts, God comforts. And we're going to see that Nehemiah will accomplish in 52 days what people had just talked about for generations. In fact, his story is a reminder that if you are willing to try to fix what is broken, it can actually be renewed if you put God first. But not only that, another piece of background with Nehemiah is that the nation of Israel didn't walk in the ways of the Lord. And because they didn't, God sent them into exile as he promised. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 28, look, God promised to the nation of Israel, his people, he said, look, if you will walk in my ways... If you will follow me, if you obey my word, he's like, I'm going to bless you. But he says, if you don't, he's like, I'm going to discipline you. I'm even going to send you into exile. And of course, if any of you know some of the history of the Bible, the people of Israel did not walk in the ways of God and he sent them into exile. In fact, they were under discipline, under punishment, in exile, first under the Assyrians in about 722 B.C., then the Babylonians, about 600 BC, then the Persians, where this story actually takes place in about 500 BC. And if you think about it, church, and and I'm no mathematician, and if you're a math teacher out there, you can correct me later on, but that looks like about 200 some odd years of this people of God not getting it. Church, that is a long time to not get it. One of my prayers for our children, one of my prayers for my wife and I is that if we enter into a season or if we're tempted to go back to what was apart from God, that we wouldn't stay there. And church, it is also my prayer for you that if you are tempted to go back to what was before Christ, if you're tempted to go back to what was, that you wouldn't stay Look, it's my prayer that God's conviction and his correction would draw you back as quickly as possible to his grace and mercy. In fact, the picture of the children of Israel that we see all throughout the New Testament, that they are such a picture of what going back actually looks like, but actually staying there. But church, come on, when it comes to us, if we go back, don't stay. Move back to God's grace and his mercy. We're going to see here in this book of Nehemiah that, look, restoration is promised. In fact, after the exile of the nation of Israel, like it is promised that they are going to be restored. But we're also going to see some spoiler alerts here in this book. We're going to see that reformation and restoration actually begins. And the people will start to focus more on what is actually external. But we're going to see that they are actually half-hearted to the things of God. When it comes to their attention and affection, they're actually half-hearted to following God and building his kingdom, which leads to God saying in Daniel chapter 9, verse 25, that look, this punishment is going to extend for another 400 some odd years, 70 times seven. 
But we're also going to see another spoiler alert that this ending of the book points to the fact that there is a Messiah coming. The Savior is coming. It points to the fact that we have this need for salvation, for our hearts to actually be in the right place. They need the right person to lead it. In fact, a lot of the Old Testament reforms, a lot of the stories you see in the Old Testament, a lot of times they almost seem like they end in an incomplete way. And they're seemingly ending in that way because God is promising that a better future is coming through the Messiah. He's promising that he's going to change their hearts. In fact, in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, the Lord says, Look, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. So again, church, I ask you, what has your heart? What are you passionate about? What is it right now that has your attention and your affection? Look, as we go through this series, I I don't want you to just think about this individually, okay? But also, I want us to think about this as a church. Look, we want to have hearts for the kingdom. We want to have a vision for what God wants. And I don't want to be half-hearted when it comes to actually following Christ. And again, another spoiler alert, church, I don't want you to be half-hearted when it comes to following Jesus either. I want us to have a heart for the kingdom. And in fact, in part one of this series, Heart for the Kingdom, the title of today's message is Prayer Before Vision. We're going to see that today. Look, Nehemiah, he was just living his best life, doing his thing, working at his government job, enjoying the the benefits of that. And we're going to see that he gets some news that changes the vision for his life. It grabbed his heart. In fact, it lit his humanly perspective with some godly purpose. It lit his humanly perspective with some godly vision. And I'm praying that what God did in Nehemiah's heart to wreck him and to change his vision, what God's been even doing in my heart to grow vision that he's going to do in you. In fact, there's a prayer that I want to challenge every single one of you who, said, who would say that this is your church. I want to challenge you as we go through this series that you would make this a prayer that you pray over the next eight weeks. And this is going to be our heart for the kingdom prayer that we will pray, Heavenly Father, break my heart for what breaks yours. Your kingdom come, your will be done, use me. And let's pray, Heavenly Father, break our hearts for what breaks yours. Your kingdom come, your will be done, God, use me. In fact, we're going to take a moment, we're going to do that right now, okay? And I I want you just to be, I want this to be between you and the Lord. So right there where you are, hey, even if you're watching online today, I want you to pray this prayer silently where you are, just to the Lord. I'm going to say it, and you can repeat it so you don't have to look up. You want to bow your head and close your eyes. But make this a moment where you focus on God and make this your prayer. Would you pray, Heavenly Father, break my heart for what breaks yours. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. God, use me. Lord, that is our prayer. Lord, we want what you want. God, would you break our heart for what breaks yours? God, we don't want to drift through this life, have a vision for this life that's half-hearted. God, we don't want to just go through the motions. 
So, Lord, show us the way. God, your kingdom come. God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, your kingdom come and your will be done right here in our hearts. God, right here in my heart. God, give us a vision that is led by the Father, that is Christ-centered, that is spirit-empowered. And God, would you use us? In the name of Christ. Amen. All right, church, Nehemiah chapter one. Going to turn there in your Bibles. And look, if you're ready to get into the word of God today, would you say amen? All right, Nehemiah chapter one. And listen to the words of Nehemiah here in chapter one. And we're going to read verses one through three to begin with. Do some other chunks of chapter one. And today I want to share with you three steps, three steps of how vision begins. And it's a vision that grabs your heart. So starting in verse one of chapter one, it says the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Tislev in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had, who had survived the exile and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down. Its gates are destroyed by fire. And then he talks about his, his occupation. He says, now I was a cupbearer for the king. Again, church, three steps of how vision begins. A vision that grabs your heart. Number one, write this down. A vision begins with a reality check. Look, vision that grabs your heart begins with a reality check. You know, sometimes you have to know where you are to know where you're actually going. Look back at verse two. Nehemiah says that Hanani, one of his brothers, came to him. Now, pause right there for a moment, okay? First of all, what a cool name, Hanani, right? In fact, I want to encourage you, look, if you're maybe going to be expecting a child soon, or maybe if you're, you know, recently married and plan on kids one day, I want you to put Hanani on the list, all right? Let's bring that name back. It is a very, very cool name. Second, this wasn't just some random guy that came to Nehemiah. You know, some people have debated whether he was saying, like, this is one of my brothers, as in this is kind of like my brother in Christ, or maybe one of his fellow uh, fellow Jewish brothers. But he uses the word my. In fact, about the other guys, he said that there were certain men from Judah, these other people. But he said of Hanani that this is one of my brothers. So we believe that, look, this is actually one of Nehemiah's brothers who actually brought this news to him. So this wasn't some guy that brought some news to him, but this was actually news that was brought to him through relationship, through kinship. And in fact, Nehemiah's brother even had at least the boldness to go up to one of the king's advisors to be able to bring him this news. So again, this wasn't just some random person, but one of Nehemiah's brothers who brought this news to him. And again, anytime there's actually a relationship with somebody, like the news carries a little bit more weight. So he says, Hanani came with certain men from Judah and asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile concerning Jerusalem. And he said to me, he said, look, the remnant that was there in the province who survived the exile, he says they are in great trouble, great trouble 
and shame. And he saw that the walls had been broken down and its gates had been destroyed by fire. Look, this news brought a reality check to Nehemiah. Look, Nehemiah couldn't ignore what he had seen and what he actually heard from his brother. Look, this news showed him that the people were still in desperate need of security, that the people were still in very great trouble and very great shame. Look, Nehemiah wants to see the name and character of God exalted. He wants to see the promises of God fulfilled. He wants to be a part of God's kingdom and building it and what it is that God's doing. But he realizes in this moment that they're not there yet. Look, church, the starting point of anything great is knowing where you actually are rather than where you think you might be. You know, churches are known for living in the glory days of the past and thinking that the way that things were in the past are the pathway to the future. Now, let me just throw this disclaimer out there that when it comes to the word of God, when it comes to what's taught in the Bible, we don't ever move away from that. We cling to and we hold to the doctrines of scripture. We cling to and we hold to the mandate to make disciples. We don't ever move away from what the Bible teaches in God's word. But what we do is that we ask God to help us to define reality. We ask God to show us what it is that we need to do to make the name of Jesus famous. For God to actually give us a reality check to see where we are and to see if we're actually in alignment with his kingdom agenda, not our own. You know, one of the things that I actually love about this church is that its glory days didn't define it. Because we don't let our glory days define who we are. But we instead let the, the very desire to bring glory to God define who we are. Look, some of you may not know this, but this church right here has been around for a very long time. It was Bethel Baptist Church and was founded in 1889. In fact, the kingdom has grown and been expanded because this church has been in this community for 134 years. In 2020, Bethel Baptist Church was in a season where they're seeking what it is that would be next. And again, some other churches would have defined reality saying that, look, we're still in the glory days. This is where we need to stay. But this church saw that its glory days were not reality and couldn't define the future. And even some mistakes that were made could not define its future. But seeking to bring glory to God, seeking to bring his kingdom, seeking to do his will would define its future. So the 45 or so people that remained in 2020 sought the Lord to see what's next. And on April 2021, Bethel Baptist Church joined the Coastal Church family. It's now Coastal Church right here in Chesapeake. And since being a part of this family of churches, we're now seeing about 200 people coming here on Sunday morning. I've already baptized 12 people, have over 100 people connected to small groups, We have sent people on mission trips to Puerto Rico, Poland, and even Ukraine to care for others and to share the gospel. See, the reality check was that the mission and the vision, it has to be greater than our purpose. Our mission and our vision, it has to be greater than even what it is that we prefer. Look, we want to develop authentic followers of Jesus Christ. 
We want to do that as we connect, grow, serve, and multiply. Look, we want to be a multi-generational, multi-ethnic church that actually reflects the community that we're actually trying to reach. We're anyone, and we really do mean anyone can develop as an authentic follower of Jesus, where we're focused not on our seating capacity, but on our sending capacity, where we multiply disciples that actually advance the gospel. Look, church, we aren't there yet. But sometimes you need to see where you are to see where it is that you need to go. So that's where we're heading as a church. But what about you? Where are you at really? You know, sometimes like you, you may run into somebody who used to play like football back in the day in their high school. And sometimes they think they're still an athlete, but they're not. So when they try to like race that other young teenagers down the street, they pull a hamstring, okay, hurt themselves. But the question is, where are you really? Where are you at right now in your relationships, in your career, with your relationship with God? Look, has your relationship with God actually grown cold? When was the last time that you even allowed some brothers, when was the last time you allowed some Hananis to come into your life to actually to help you define reality? So you can see not where you think you are, but where you really are. When was the last time you actually let some brothers and sisters help you define reality? Look, vision that captures the heart and our attention and affection begins with realizing where we actually are. But look how the story continues in verse four. Nehemiah says, look, as soon, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept, and I mourned for days. And he said, I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Look, church, when it comes to how vision begins, a vision that captures your heart, number two, write this down. A vision begins with a heart for the kingdom. And I want you to write right next to that dot, 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 and a sense of urgency. A vision begins with a heart for the kingdom, but it's also with a sense of urgency. And again, a heart is what you know and feel. It's what you think and actually believe. And again, Nehemiah, look, he wasn't a prophet. He wasn't a priest. He was working as his cupbearer, just doing his job. But then this news of his people and the lack of response to what God wanted him to do, it grabbed his heart and turned his attention and affection to the kingdom and what God wanted to build. He was greatly distressed and greatly distressed for the need of the people. It says, look, as soon, Nehemiah says, as soon as I heard these words, he says, I sat down, wept and mourned for days. And he says, I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Look, as soon there communicates that there needs to be a sense of urgency when it comes to the things of God. So what did Nehemiah do here? Look, he wept. Again, there was something deep here in him that he both knew and he felt it. This wasn't just some emotional response that he had, but he knew this and he felt it deep down in his heart. When he heard that the walls were down, but also more so that the people were still in despair. He says that he mourned. Again, not over just the brokenness of the city, but he mourned over the people. 
seeing that their need was so much greater than he thought it was. Again, Nehemiah was just doing his job, living his best life, but this news changed the very direction of his life, changed the vision he had for his life. But he said he also fasted. Look, fasting is just removing something from life that we crave to regain focus on what it is that actually matters the most. And Nehemiah got this news and he said, you know what? I need to focus on what it is that actually matters the most. And he fasted. Church, it is so easy for us to become numb to what's happening in the world. It's just another scroll through our news app. It's just another person at their job talking about the brokenness that they have in their family or in their lives. It's so easy for us to become numb to what's actually happening in the world. But again, Nehemiah sought this alignment with God. So again, to gain this focus for God's kingdom and for his will. In fact, Jesus himself would even emphasize us praying and thinking and believing this way where he says in Matthew chapter 6 verse 9. Where he says, pray then like this, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Again, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Look, our hearts should be for the kingdom of God to grow. We need to have hearts for actually building God's kingdom. Look, Nehemiah both heard and felt the brokenness in the people and it broke his heart. And he sought this realignment to be for the kingdom of God, to weep and to mourn and to fast, to seek that God's kingdom would be built. And church, as I was preparing this message, I kept thinking when Nehemiah saw these things and he heard these things again, it it realigned his whole perspective. He had this heart for the kingdom and there was a sense of urgency in him. And I started wondering, look, do we have a heart like this? Did you know right now that 65% of the people who live in the Chesapeake, Virginia Beach area do not go to church anywhere. 65%. And in fact, 60% of that number is a rising group of people called the nuns. Now, not nuns like Catholic nuns who are walking around and have those headdresses, anything like that. It's not, it's not that. It's N-O-N-E, okay? And pretty much like these people say they want to have nothing to do with any form of religion, nothing to do with the Bible, nothing to do with the church. They have no religious affiliation whatsoever. I even read one survey where it says that close to 100,000 people in this area, when asked like how one of those scales, you know, where it's like strongly disapprove, all the way over here to strongly approve. And when it comes to things of the gospel, the Bible, Jesus, 100,000 of those people said, we strongly disapprove of anything involving Jesus or Christianity. 65%. That's two-thirds of your neighbors and your coworkers, family members, friends, and fellow students sitting in the classroom next to you. 65% of people who have either given up on God or they've never given him a chance. Church, let that just sink in for a moment. Here at Coastal, we believe the gospel. We believe that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We believe that anyone who repents of their sin and they believe this good news about Jesus, that he is God, that he died on the cross to pay the price for their sins, that he bodily rose from the dead, conquering sin, conquering death, conquering the grave, making us away. In fact, we believe that he is 
the way. Not a way, but the way. That he is the truth, not a truth, but he is the truth. That he is the life. Look, that is eternal life from now unto eternity and his life to the full right here, right now. We believe that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. In fact, even if you're sitting in here today, right now, you haven't yet trusted Jesus Christ as the Lord and leader of your life. Man, the Bible even says that today is the day of salvation. Why would you wait another minute to put your eternity at jeopardy? Why would you wait another minute instead of following the person who is the way, the truth, and the life? Well, we've been praying that today you would trust him as Lord. Look, we believe the gospel. We believe that there is a way to heaven. There is a way to live this life to the full that someone can be saved, that it is through Jesus. But see, we also believe that the Bible teaches that there is this very real place called hell. And someone who does not repent of their sins... They are going to spend eternity apart from God in this place of punishment. Again, church, let that sink in for a moment. Do we really believe what the Bible teaches? Do we really believe that if Jesus were to come back right now, 65% of the people in our circles of influence might be spending eternity apart from God? I wonder if we really believe that. How differently, we would act, how differently we would actually act. In fact, the 200 or so people that call this their church home, I wonder if we would actually pray more for those who are far from God. The 200 or so people who call this their church home, I wonder if we would actually go more into investing in the church so we could develop authentic followers of Jesus Christ. I wonder if we would actually even be quicker to take for opportunities and look for opportunities to share the gospel with others. Man, I bet we might even be more intentional to talk to those who we care about and love, to set an appointment with them, sit down with them, and say, look, I have some incredible news. The God of the universe loves you, and he's made a way for you. Church, I recently had somebody come into my circle of influence as a pastor who was having some problems in their family. And this person came and they were talking about how right now they are in their, they're experiencing all this brokenness in their family. But what it's really pointing to is that the brokenness that's inside of them, they are so far from God right now. And of course, I shared this here the gospel with this person that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through him. And they said, and, and the person said, look, look, that is your truth, but that's not my truth. I remind him, look, there is not my truth or your truth. There is the truth. And I reminded him of the gospel. They're so captivated by the ways of the world, so captivated by all the, ph- the philosophies in the world right now. And my heart was just so broken for them. In fact, they're on my prayer list that God would soften their hearts, that he would soften their ears, that he would make a way for the gospel to penetrate their hearts. Church, do we have hearts like that for people? Come on, we need a bigger vision. We need a heart for the kingdom. And we need to have a sense of urgency to pray for, to seek after. And again, people are not projects, but part of sharing that we actually love and care about them is actually sharing the gospel with them. Look, Nehemiah says, as soon, as soon as I heard this, he says, I wept, I mourned, I fasted, but he also noted here that he prayed. Number three, a vision that captures the heart. 
the first step toward vision is that vision begins with prayer. Church, we need to pray. Listen to how the story continues again in verse 4. He says, look, I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. He says, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. He says, we have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you have commanded your servant, Moses. He says, remember the word that you commanded your servant, Moses, saying, if you are faithful, I will scatter. If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the people. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, Though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. Look, church, a vision that grabs our hearts, it begins with prayer. And how did Nehemiah pray here? Look, he prayed with the right posture. He prayed with the right posture. Look, he says he saw God in the right way, that he was the great God of heaven, the great God of the universe. And even that brokenness that was happening in around him, he didn't blame that on God, but he blamed it on the people's sin. He even confessed his own sin. Look, we never attribute sin to God. Instead, we own it and we repent of it. Nehemiah would not blame God for sin, but instead he's like, you know, it's all on us, God. We're the ones who sinned against you. We're in this predicament because of you. But if we turn our hearts back to you, you're going to make your name famous. Well, Nehemiah prayed with humility, not saying that I'm going to fix it. I'm going to rule this. But instead, desperately, desperately praying, God, I need you. Look, when it comes to prayer, how is your posture when you're praying and talking to your heavenly father? In fact, is it even just a last minute resort? Like all we can do now is pray. But Nehemiah said again, as soon as this happened, he turned his heart and his mind toward prayer. But see, Nehemiah, not only did he have the right posture in prayer, he also interceded for others. He interceded for the people. He was praying on their behalf. Look what it says here in verse six. He says, let your ear be attentive, Lord, and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, day and night for the people. And again, this was something that Nehemiah said, you know, I'm going to intercede on behalf of others and I need to do this day I keep praying for them. This wasn't like, okay, I'm going to pray God that they get saved. Now let me get back to watching The Bachelor, okay? He's like, I'm going to pray for them continually, continually intercede. And then he also did this, okay? He prayed dangerously. He said, God, use me. Look, Nehemiah is praying that God would build his kingdom. And he prays for the servants of God, plural. He's praying that God would use everyone who's still following him to build his kingdom, to bring this restoration. 
But then Nehemiah prays and he says, God, I'm your servant. In other words, God, use me. Church, this is such a dangerous prayer to say, God, yes, use everyone else. But Lord, would you use me? Church, have you ever thought about what you've been praying for? And what if, what if today God said yes to every single thing that you prayed for yesterday? What would he give you? Would it be a safe trip to work? Would it be a nice meal? Would it be to clear the weather up that we were thought was going to be raining today and we moved everything to the gym and it was going to be outside? Would it just be to have a nice sunny day? If God were to say yes to every single thing that you prayed for, what in the world would he give you? Now, of course, you know, if you've been coming to the church anytime, like we believe that God wants you to pray for anything and everything. But sometimes I think our prayers are too safe. Sometimes I'm even wondering, look, that, that God's up in heaven saying, look, I, I already give you that. Like, I give you nice meals. I give you safety when you're traveling. Like, I give you these things already. Come on, would you really talk to me? Would you confess some things to me? Would you actually pray to me as if I was the God in heaven who could still move mountains and do miracles? And if I was actually the God in heaven who could actually do far more abundantly than you can ask or think or imagine? Come on, we need to pray some dangerous prayers, ones that just aren't always safe. Prayers where we're begging the God of the universe, where we're mourning and weeping and crying out to him, asking him to move in our lives and move in the lives of others. Uh, there's this prayer that's often attributed to a guy named Sir Francis Drake, who was this English sea captain who actually circumnavigated the entire world. And he prayed what I think is a dangerous prayer, man. Listen to what he prayed. He said, disturb us, Lord. When we are too well pleased with ourselves, when our dreams have come true because we have dreamed too little, when we have arrived safely because we sailed too close to the shore, disturb us, Lord. When with the abundance of things we possess, we have lost our thirst for the waters of life. Having fallen in love with life, we have ceased to dream of eternity and in our efforts to build a new earth, we have allowed our vision of the new heaven to dim. Disturb us, Lord, to dare more boldly, to venture on wider seas, where storms will show your mastery, where losing sight of land, we shall find the stars. We ask you to push back the horizon of our hopes and to push back the future in strength, courage, hope, and love. This we ask in the name of our captain, who is Jesus Christ. Amen. Church, what if the vision for this life was bigger? It was deeper because we were a church that prayed. And what if we didn't just pray for safety? But what if we pray for the God of the universe to move in our world, to save more people, to build his kingdom, to save more people ever in history? And what if we said, yes, God, use your church? What if we prayed a little more dangerously, personally, and said, God, use me? Look, as our worship team comes back up to the stage...
A vision begins with a reality check. Where are you really? You need to know where you really are so you can know where you're actually going. A vision begins with a heart for the kingdom with a sense of urgency. Look, today is the day. Today is the day to bring your heart into alignment with God's kingdom purpose and his kingdom agenda. Look, a vision begins with prayer, but it's prayers with the right posture, actually interceding for others, but it's also praying in a way that's not just safe, that God would use you. You know, I was really captivated this week by when Nehemiah saw the brokenness in the people and how it actually caused him to shift his whole perspective, to bring his heart back into alignment with the kingdom agenda, to look and see that, you know what, man, God still wants to rescue people. The people were in great shame. They were in great trouble. His heart was broken for those who were far from God. So I thought this week as Nehemiah began to intercede for the people who were broken and far from God, I thought that this week that we would actually conclude our service by doing the same thing. On your seats around you, you have some very colorful cards. And as someone asked me earlier, look, it's not craft time here at Coastal Church in Chesapeake. And we've actually done this before, but I want us to take some time as we sing this last song, and I want you to think about the people who are in your life who are far from God right now. And I want you to write down their names. And it could be one, it could be three, it could be more, but I want you to write down at least one person you know who's far from God. And just like we've been doing before, you know, our church continually intercedes for them. I want you to take the name of the people, I want you to write it down on this card, I want you to bring it down and place it down on these steps. And, you know, that we used to call this kind of the altar, but it's, it's more symbolic and coming down and saying, you know what, God, like I, I want to I see you move in this person's life. Look, I believe that if they're a prodigal or they're far from God, you can still reach them. Look, if the person's not dead, look, God's not done. His grace is still available. His mercy is still available. He can still move in their lives. And maybe he even wants to use you. I want you to write down their name and bring it up to the altar and drop it on the steps up here. But then also I want you to write the same names on a second sheet of paper, okay? Because we've been praying for those names, but have you? Have you forgotten? Maybe you prayed once and walked away. I want to challenge you with this second card. You would write down their names and you would place it in a place where you're going to see those names every single day, that you would pray for them, that this would be the year, man, this would be the season that God breaks your heart for them, that they cannot escape your mind or your heart. And you're so passionate about praying for them that God moves in their lives and he saves them. So you're going to give one to us and as a staff, as a prayer team, and we're going to pray for them and intercede for them. But I also want you to do the same. And so as we're singing this song, and as you're responding and bringing these cards down, I also want you to keep thinking about this kingdom prayer, okay? I want you to be praying, God, Heavenly Father, break our hearts. Man, just like Nehemiah, God, break our hearts for what breaks yours. God, your kingdom come, your will be done, but God, would you use me? And I'm praying that God's gonna open up a door, an opportunity, for you to share the gospel, for them to accept an invitation to church 
And this would be the season that they trust him as Lord. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your word. And God, I do pray that we as the people of God would dream bigger. God, would you break our hearts for what you are doing in the world? God, would you break our hearts for what it is that breaks yours? God, would you realign our hearts, our very perspective with your kingdom agenda? God, help us to have a sense of urgency. Lord, I believe you want to move in us right now. God, there's things you want to accomplish in us and through us right now. So help us, Lord, to bring our hearts into alignment with yours. God, I do pray for every name already that's going to be on these sheets of paper. God, I pray that this would be the season. God, this would be the year that the person who's far from you, God, the person who maybe knows you, Lord, and they've walked away, they would return to you. God, for the person who's never trusted in you as Lord and maybe all the philosophies and cultural things of the world have captivated their hearts, God, I pray that you would captivate their hearts. And God, I pray that you would use the people here, Lord, to open up the doors and to be a light where they are and the light of Christ would shine bright. God, I pray for boldness for our church, for invitation and gospel proclamation, God, wherever it is that you've placed them. God, may your kingdom grow and expand because you are still the great God of the universe who's moving in people's lives today. God, use us. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen.